Hello to all our good friends at Door of Hope and welcome to the second in this series based around Romans 12, 1 to 2. The assignment that's been given to me has been to speak to you now a second time on being human in a broken world and today I'm going to address the challenging and uh, troubled area of sex and gender in a broken world. And it is a broken world. We live in a world that I would describe as the I world, a world in which people in our culture by and large do not look to Jesus or the Bible for insight on morals or behavior. In fact, in the I world, um, every moral system is viewed as a human construct, including the Bible. And uh, the Bible is viewed currently as perhaps one of those um, less preferred sources for insight for life. In the I world, individual freedom is king. In the I world, it's the expansion of individual rights that leads to increased happiness and fulfillment. And as a result, adults should be able to engage in any form of sexual relations just as long as it's consensual. In the I world, human fulfillment um, is considered only to be free when we can engage in consensual sexual relationships outside of that very confining issue of a marriage between one man and one woman for life. Now, in the I world, any sexual behavior is okay as long as it's consensual. In the I world, you'll never know if you might not be happier with someone else or doing something else unless you give it a try. In the I world, happiness is the result of having one pleasure experience after another. And the inevitable outcome of that mindset is simply the pursuit of self, particularly the um, erosion of commitment, of responsibility, and of sacrifice. In the I world, public policy has been pursuing the issue of sex and gender uh, very vigorously. In the I world, the posture is one of moral neutrality. We will protect all sexual behavior and you must not criticize another person's sexual choices or expression. Uh, public policy is that marriage is no longer between a man and a woman. It is simply a contract between individuals and it is gender neutral. This has led to a profound confusion of sex and gender and perhaps one of the most alarming realities that uh, people in both church and the community are addressing is the current approach of affirming a child's self-diagnosis of gender dysphoria and then acti actively pursuing transgender medication and gender reassignment. And no one, including parents, can intervene in a world where you can't even get a tattoo as a child without parental permission. It is confused, and the diagram that I put before you uh, I have uh, taken from the work of Patricia Wirrakoon. Uh, Patricia Wirrakoon is a national treasure. She created the course on sex and gender at Sydney University that my wife graduated from. And any pastor or leader who is looking for insight and uh, helpful advice in the area of sex and gender would find her to be a treasure of a resource and I would encourage you to pursue her on patriciawirakoon.com. Uh, she has wonderful resources that can help you think through 
the challenges that the confusion of sex and gender have placed before all of us as a community. Now, as far as Christians are concerned, discipleship begins with theology. Jesus, uh, do you have a perspective on sex and gender that we should be aware of? Well, the answer is yes. Um, Jesus says many things in the New Testament that reflect on the issue of sex and gender, but perhaps the most concentrated single place is in Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus was asked a question about the issue of divorce. Is it okay to divorce for any reason? Jesus replied by saying, Have you not read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? Jesus thinks that gender is binary. There are only two genders, male and female. He goes on and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife. Sex has uh, both a design and a purpose. The design of sex is husband and wife, male and female, in other words, sex is designed heterosexually. The genitals of a male were designed for that of a female. The genitals of a female were designed for that of a male. But that's not only the design, it has a purpose. The purpose of sex is not simply to function as an entertainment unit. Um, he goes on to say, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In other words, sex is an act of covenant. It isn't an entertainment unit. It is something which is profoundly holy. And as a result, Jesus goes on to say, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together let no man separate. Jesus thinks that sex, gender and sexual intercourse are a God issue. And as a result, anyone who is wanting to understand and manage their sexuality well really needs to ask God, what do you think? Well, they went on to say, well, then Jesus, uh, if that's the case, why did Moses command that they would uh, give a certificate of divorce. And Jesus said that was never a command. It was a permission because your hearts were hard. And he went on to then say, but it was not this way from the beginning. And I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Divorce is not a trivial thing. And it ought not to be treated as a trivial thing. The disciples, in hearing that, were alarmed and they said, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it would be better never to marry. Jesus responded by saying, well, not everyone can receive that as a saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive this. Now, in using the word eunuchs, Jesus is taking a word which 
clearly from its normal use means that someone who has been so damaged in their sexual organs that they are not capable of a sexual relationship as it was intended by God. He uses it, however, uh, in a wider sense or a broader sense. We're talking here using the word eunuch as a person who is simply, for one reason or another, uh, incapable of fully expressing the normal um, plan or design and purpose that God had for sex in the beginning. One man, one woman in a married sexual relationship for life. And Jesus says there are reasons why God's plan for sex and gender has been disrupted. Firstly, uh, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. Sexual development is extraordinarily complex. And why would we be surprised if in a fallen world, uh, a fallen world in which our biology, our, our physicality, um, our emotions, our spiritual well-being, all of it has been profoundly damaged by the fall. Why would we somehow expect that somehow sexual development would not be included in that? Sexual development is so complex. Both natal and prenatal development can be disrupted in so many different ways. Chromosomes that don't unpack, hormones that don't uh, function in a broken world as one would have expected and as a result genitals are simply not formed as they would normally be according to God's plan and purpose. There are those who from birth have had their sexuality so disrupted that the possibility of them expressing the, the normal relationship of a man and a woman together in sexual relationship for life is simply not going to be their experience. And those people are going to need help. It's not an easy life. Then Jesus goes on to say there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. Now we recognize that not only uh, is there a biological, uh, natural issue at the back, the, the way in which our sexuality developed in the womb or after the womb, but now the way in which sexuality is impacted by nurture, by family of origin issues by trauma, by scripting, by the way in which sex has been viewed and seen and encountered that begins to rewrite the brain tracks, the way the brain responds to sexual stimulation. And then all the challenges of epigenetics, the recognition that the way in which we live has an impact on the way in which our genetic code actually functions. Human behavior and um, culture and the circumstances in which we live have the ability to turn some genes on and turn some genes off. And Jesus describes these as eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. In other words, by the lifestyle they've lived and experienced in this world, in this broken world, their sexuality and gender experience has been so damaged that they too will not be able to fully express the normal um, male and female experience of life as it was designed and intended by God. And that's not an easy life either. These people will need understanding, they'll need support, they'll need kindness, they need a fellowship that understands. And finally, Jesus said, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs 
for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, sex is not the meaning of life and sex is not king in your life. Uh, it may be that because of uh, experiences, background, nurture, trauma, scripting, epigenetics, that your sexual attractions uh, don't align with God's plan and God's purpose. But what you do with that is still under your control. And Jesus said there are some who make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they subordinate sexual fulfillment to a call of God upon their life because the meaning of life is not to see how many orgasms you can have before you die. Sexual fulfillment is not the king, uh, it's not the key uh, ruler and reason for which uh, we are intended to live. Our sexuality needs to be subordinated to higher purposes. The reality is this. In every area of our life, we need a saviour. And Jesus is that saviour. But as we were dealing with last week, salvation comes in three parts. The first part of salvation is justification. It's righteousness. It's the rebirth of our human spirit, uh, calling us to faith and to trust and obedience. It's the work of Jesus upon the cross and it's the work of the Holy Spirit in drawing us to Jesus. The first part of our salvation is the forgiveness of sins. It's our justification. Um, it is our renewed fellowship with God and that has been done for anyone who believes and has committed their way to Jesus Christ. But then comes the second part of your salvation and that is sanctification. And that is where we are right now. It's Christ being formed in me by the Spirit and by the word. And last week we looked at the tension that goes with that, Romans 6 to 8. The tension is that my inner man has been renewed, but my body has not been re uh, renewed. And now the Bible is going to call us to bring this dying, disobedient body under the rule and reign of Christ in you. Uh, and in the process, Christ is increasingly formed within. So even struggles with uh, gender and sex um, are part of the struggles and the conflict that can work together for good as long as you understand God's purpose and you cooperate with it. The Bible says all things work together for good, even these struggles over sex and gender, if you approach them rightly. Because the key, all you will carry out into eternity, is what has been formed in your soul through Christ in you. And this is one of those battles that we have uh, being human in a broken world. And as a result, we're going to look for a few moments today at sanctification. How does that happen? Then comes the third part of our salvation, and that, that is the redemption of my body. Finally, this body is going to be changed. This body has no future. It is destined for the grave, or if Jesus comes then to be instantly uh, translated and translated, uh, changed into a body like his own glorious spiritual body. And in that situation, the battle is over. Thank God there are no alcoholics in heaven. The reason there are no alcoholics is that their body died. And alcohol is something that grips the body. But your spirit isn't an alcoholic and Jesus is not an alcoholic. What leaves the 
body of a redeemed alcoholic is a spirit that's totally forgiven and wrapped up in Jesus Christ. There are no, there's no alcoholism in heaven. And as a result, the book of Hebrews describes uh, heaven as a place where the spirits of just men have been made perfect. Why are they perfect? Because the body's gone. That uh, disobedient physical element that is yet to be changed is gone. And so the battle is over. So now we come to the second part of our salvation. We come to the issue of the New Testament process of sanctification. And this is so beautifully described in Romans 12 verses 1 to 2. Romans 12 comes after Romans 1 to 5, justification, and after Romans 6 to 8, sanctification. And this is where we are right now. So how does it work? How, how does a, a Christian respond to the challenges of his sexual and gender pressures? Well, here it goes. I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers and my sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Your body is to engage in nothing that is unholy. And it is God who defines holiness. And it's why we need to understand God and read his word and know that which pleases him and that which does not. Because the call will now be to take this body that has no eternal future, it has to be changed, and present it to God as a living sacrifice. Make it obedient to his claims, because as you do, Christ is formed in your innermost being. Christ is formed in you, as you do. Now, the key to this is, number one, don't be conformed to this world. Be careful of the I world. Because the I world would like to conform you. What does that mean? Well, to be conformed is the act of an individual assuming an outward expression which doesn't come from within them and is not representative of their inner heart life. Now, if you're not a Christian, um, there is no special issue of the, your inner heart life. You're just a natural human being with all the challenges and cravings and longings that a natural human being wrestles with. But if you're a follower of Christ, Christ is in you. There is a new creation in you. Don't be conformed to the I world. Don't cover what is a new life with an outward expression which conforms to the I world but is an offense to God himself. Here's the alternative. He goes on, Paul goes on, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The key is a transformation which takes place by, a, by thinking differently. And he says there'll be an outcome for this, that if you can persist in, in this process, in being transformed by a different way of thinking, there will come a time when you, you will discover that your emotions and your whole being is able to rejoice with God and say, God, your will, well, it's really good and it's really acceptable and it's really perfect and it's by my experience I can say that. Paul says, if you will persist in the process of transformation, that persistence will change your experience of life and you'll find you and God are on the same page, agreeing that God is good, his will is good, and his 
word is good. So what does this word transformed mean? Well, being transformed is the act of a person changing his outward expression from what it was to a different one. But this time, it's now expressive of his inner being, the reality of what's in your spirit and has been planted in your soul. Something which comes from and is expressive of his inner being. Christian transformation is not behavior modification. Changing my behavior because I've got to keep the rules and someone's watching me. No, that's behavior modification. No, Christian transformation, this is a new creation expression because Christ dwells within me and he is my life and he is my eternal destiny. I ask myself the question every day, what will I do with the members of my body to express the life of heaven now that Christ in me has become the hope of glory? Such a different approach. And it's done by the renewing of your mind, leaning into not your body and its demands, but the new creation which is planted in you by the Holy Spirit and the presence and the life and the power of that new creation. So let's talk about sanctification in a broken world. How does it work? Well, this diagram will help you understand the way life unfolds. The reality is that for all of us, the way we think and what we think is the key to how our life unfolds. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Because the way we think produces feelings and emotions. And when our thoughts and our emotions become sufficiently compelling, we then act upon them. And if we act upon it one day after another, if we persist, we begin to change who we are. Our brain begins to modify its tracks. This is how uh, every habit is developed is by persistence. One day of behavior and choices after another, and you become what you are one day at a time because of the plasticity of your brain reforming itself around your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions over time. Now imagine into a normal person's life, Jesus Christ now comes. I have a friend who um, during her early years was caught up in the feminist movement and got kind of angry about men and very excited about women. And she moved into a lesbian relationship and lived that way for 11 years. Then Christ came into her life and uh, with that came conflict. Um, Initially, she didn't know so much about how being a Christian might impact her choices on the expression of sex and gender. But then uh, the point of intersection in the way our life unfolds is through the word, because uh, there's a way of thinking that the I world, your memories, your learning, the things you've practiced, the culture in which you live, there are thoughts that surround that life. And then into your life comes Jesus and the Bible and words of truth. And now those words of truth begin to impact your thoughts. They begin to impact her thoughts. 
In fact, Jesus said, this is how change takes place. Sanctify them by the truth, Jesus prayed, because Lord, your word is truth. That was the prayer of Jesus for his disciples. Change them, build a new life within them by the truth, because your words are truth. But the words that are most potent in terms of changing our future and our behavior are not just thoughts about what we ought to be doing. It's about who we are. It's, a, it's thoughts and wisdom and insights from the Bible about the new creation in Christ that I have become. Because that's where New Testament transformation comes from. It's not simply a new set of rules and I need to keep the rules because someone's watching. It's there's a new life in me and it's not what I am. I'm, I'm a new creation. I'm not that old man. I'm this new creation. And as a result, she began to understand that God had a view on her lesbianism. She left that relationship. Uh, over time, as she walked with Jesus, it so changed the way she thought and felt about being a woman that she then married. And over a period of time, became so excited in the change in her life, she developed a ministry to people who were struggling with same-sex attraction. Because she could now, uh, as Paul says, I could now approve by my experience that the, the will of God is both good, acceptable and perfect. You become what you are one day at a time. Well, what words would they be? Well, the Bible says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And here's an example. You can have a humanity which is ruled by passions. That's called the flesh. But you can have your humanity ruled by your human spirit, renewed by the power of God. And this is, for example, one example. This is one example of a word that might change your life. Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. This is not about keeping the rules. This is about a whole new life. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. What does that mean? Well, you've got to read your Bible to know what God approves and what he doesn't approve. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Take note. But then she reads this, by the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. The power of Christian transformation is not struggling to simply perform a new set of rules that you don't really want to do. It's leaning into the new creation that is within and by the renewing of your mind, beginning to ask, how would Christ in me express sex and gender in a way that would be consistent with my eternal destiny as a child of God? Well, the truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Well, what truth? 
Well, every truth in the Bible. Every truth in the Bible. Jesus said, my word is spirit and my word is life. But the greatest truths involved in transformation are those that relate to who you are in Christ, your identity and your standing through union with Christ. Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Just draw from me. The Bible says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. But if you are alienated from the life of God, it's through ignorance. Ignorance alienates people from the life of God. Any truth that you are ignorant of or you do not understand will hinder your transformation because you are sanctified by the truth. Well, what, uh, what would a Bible-based, Christ-focused response to the confusion of uh, sex and gender be in a world like this? I want to be a follower of Christ. Well, here's a brief outline. You need to know that Christ died to redeem your desires, your bodies and behaviours. So the key is to live a redeemed lifestyle with your identity rooted, rooted in Jesus Christ and constantly asking, how would I express the life of Christ through the members of my body in a way that would honour God and be consistent with who I am in Christ? Now, having said all of that, there'll be some for whom this will not be easy. Uh, Jesus pointed that out. Some have uh, been born eunuchs, some are made eunuchs by men. And in that environment, there needs to be a community with a really strong theology of singleness because some will not find the expression of their sex and gender through a sexual relationship in marriage, one man to one woman for life, as something that really works unless God does a real rebuilding process in, her, in their life as he did with my friend. And it will need to be a compassionate community where uh, roles are Bible-based and not culture-driven, a community that comforts, that challenges and convicts. In other words, it's a call to live a countercultural lifestyle because this is not the direction that the I world would encourage you to go. You need to expect the fact that um, there will be persecution when you don't affirm and celebrate everybody's diverse approaches to sex and gender. You don't cheer it on and say, well, that's wonderful. God will be happy with that. But you have to let your life and your love do the talking and you have to live with a view to the consummation of eternity. Your new creation is designed for eternity. This body does not have that much longer to go. Well, my friend not only married, but she created a ministry to same-sex attracted people. And I had the privilege of overseeing her doctorate. She did a doctorate uh, researching what could the church do to be most useful to people who struggle with same-sex attraction, which was the lifestyle she came from. She discovered three things in her research. People who are struggling with their gender alignment, gender dysphoria, the, sexual, the, the expression of sexuality in their life. That the first thing they need is deep friendships, a place to be able to talk about the realities of their life and the pressures that they live under in an atmosphere where they are both cared about, loved, understood, a deep friendship. Secondly, teach us spiritual disciplines because this new creation, I need to understand God's word. I need to understand how do I pray? How do I connect with God? How do I move in the spirit? How do I grow in this new creation life? And thirdly, please do not affirm 
the lusts of our flesh, affirm who we are in Christ and encourage us to never stop going after God. Well, I know that this won't have answered every one of your questions. It's just been a brief overview. But I commend to you the ministry of Patricia Wirakun and encourage you to seek out uh, her, her wisdom and insights as a medical doctor in this field. But I'd also encourage you to read a book written by a friend of mine, Peter McHugh. He's recently written a book called Radically Restored to, to Oneness with God. And it's all about who you are in Christ. Google his name, Peter McHugh. Read the book. It'll do you good. And now I simply want to pray for you as I um, release you into the hands of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the new life we have in Christ. I thank you that there is a way forward, that if we will set our mind on the things that are above, your spirit will be at work within us. You will grow in us the life of Christ. Prepare us for heaven because that's our destiny and keep us as a loving community. In Jesus' name, amen.